0: Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. A real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Let's join our hosts, Phil Dark and Rick Morton. All right. Welcome again to the Think Orphan podcast. This is Rick Morton along with my properly socially distanced co host, Phil Dark. Phil, we can't be much more socially distanced That's than true. we are today. That's true. Alabama to that's California, true, you know
1: and it's it's pretty common. it's pretty calm these days and it may be a good thing because I you know I got a little something that's uh, keeping me down so hopefully it won't uh, won't get me down too much today. I don't think it will. I think you know I'm so excited about our guest today that that will overcome anything that I got going on in my body so um how are you doing these days?
0: Well, hit us with it man, I'm good I'm good I'm ready I'm ready for this interview ready to Ready to, to get, jump into this with you. So why don't you, why don't you yeah, tell so us our about our guest. Our
1: guest is the National Director of Training and Ministry Programs for for the Children. You may know it as Royal Family Kids. They have camps and they have a, several other ministries. Jeff's going to tell us about the name change and, you know, and also what the ministry does, as well as some really cool stuff that uh, I've been able to talk with him about even before uh, we were... You know getting this interview going so i'm excited for you guys to hear some of the amazing stuff that he has to share today so you know as as we've been saying over the last few weeks you know and few months really join the join the facebook group join the think orphan facebook group if if you want to go deeper into the conversation and and not don't just join it don't just click on it and say okay now i'm done you know really join the group and engage you know ask questions uh, share things that from the episodes that you know are questions from from that you have about them, or things that really hit you, and that your ministry is doing some different things, maybe. So you know that's our hope for this show is it doesn't end here, it doesn't end on this you know podcast, this recording, this download that you're doing, but it's actually something that we're especially now in this time of COVID where we're we are distanced, you know, and we are apart from each other. Th- these these uh, mediums that we have on social media really are good things for us to be able to use you know they have they have their shadow they have their negative side but i think this is a really good way to use it so i do encourage you to do that also subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so already that way you won't miss any episodes but uh you know again without any more of that from us uh we're now going to get to it with jeff Juhalla.
0: jeff welcome well thank you we're excited to have you um and so, Phil, Phil's kind of filled our, our listeners in a little bit on uh, on kind of the, the the new name for a ministry with a with an established identity. And so, man, we're really glad to to have you. And and I'd love, you know, just for us to to kind of kick off tonight, um, share with our listeners a little bit how did how did you get engaged um, in in this ministry, and and how you know particularly. Uh, were you drawn into uh, into caring for kids that are that are in um, in state care
2: so I had an interesting journey uh, a true calling uh, my wife and I had been involved uh, in lots of ministries at church over the years and uh, the speaker from rural family kids at the time uh, came and spoke at our church trying to start up a, a camp and we heard about it and we thought great as soon as somebody starts it we'll sign up as you know camp counselors. So that was, we heard about it on a Tuesday night and then it totally evaporated from our brains, never heard anything else. No other announcements, no nothing. Uh, But over a, a two year period, we really felt God putting a burden on our hearts for orphans. It was one of those series of years where it seemed like every couple of months, orphan care popped up in our minds. I heard a great message on focus on the family about the orphanages in Cambodia. We had a lady that would come to our church and talk to us about the orphanages in Romania. Uh, we had a, a missionary speaker come by and speak about the orphanages in India. And we really just felt this extra deep connection to orphan care. And we just knew something was stirring, something was happening, and that we had to get involved in it. We just didn't know what. And for a two-year period, we just felt this sense. So one day, I uh, I walked into my children's pastor's office, and he's the guy who had brought in Wayne Tesh, the founder of Real Family Kids, to speak. And uh, I walked into his office, and I said, Hey, uh, my wife and I just really feel this stirring. I don't know what to do with it. You know, we've been praying about it, but it's been two years. Maybe we should amp it up and have you pray about it, you know? And he had this uh, funny quizzical look on his face. And he said, do you remember when that guy Wayne Tesh came and spoke two years ago? And I said, wow, yeah, that's the first I'd thought about that for the last two years. Whatever happened? And he said, I'll tell you what happened. Nothing happened. He said, Wayne spoke, several people were interested. He gave me his books and but nothing happened he said i've been handing his book out to people and asking for two years and my wife and i've been praying for two years will you be the camp director will you be the camp director and everybody has turned us down he said jeff today i walk into my office and uh, i found some extra books on the shelf that wayne had left and he said my wife and i've been praying about this for two years and nothing's happened so i took the books off the shelf and i threw them in the trash can and i essentially said lord the dream is get done i'm going to move on to other things And uh, so he turned around at his desk and reached into the trash can and pulled out one of the books and said, maybe God's been calling you guys to work with orphans right here in America. So it's like, wow, out of the trash can, the dream was revived, you know. And uh, it was a pretty special moment for us to to sit there and think, wow, he threw away the dream. He was literally in the trash can and he pulled the book out. So we read the book and we felt super connected to it. Went to training. We were absolutely blown away. By the training that we had seen, the six days, you know, in immersion experience at a, at a summer camp where all these foster kids were running around, and we just felt wow. We felt one thing completely overwhelmed by <laughs> the thought running this one week camp ministry. We had to raise you know twenty thousand dollars. We had to get thirty adults to take a week off. We had to get the government to say yes to giving us kids. We were all blown away, but we were also so mesmerized by the thought that we could do this ministry for foster children. And um, we were both good kids who came from good homes, my wife and I. So this was new to us, new language, new concept. Uh, So we did that for six years up in Northern California. And four years into it, we started to feel this stirring again, just like we had before. Mm -hmm. The stirring of this, every time something happened now, instead of getting involved with foster or orphanage, it was get involved in full-time ministry. And it was another two-year cycle of we felt the Lord stirring us. We felt for sure that we were going to go into full-time ministry and that we were going to move. And there's a lot of details that went into that stirring and into that account. Um, But then we got a phone call and asked us to move down to Southern California and uh, take over the training department here at Rural Family Kids now for the children. So that's the journey, Uh, a lot of stirring, a lot of calling. Um, a lot of confidence awesome building day. that God came alongside us and uh, met us where we needed to be met. That doesn't mean the journey was easy. There were some pretty rough days, but it was eight. We were able to get through the rough days because we were confident in the call.
0: Mm. That's and, awesome. Well, Jeff, I, you know, you, you kind of unpacked a little bit of um, for the children mm-hmm. and, and rural family kids kind of your um, you know, your camp ministry there and, and talked a little bit about the contours of it, but for for those folks that are listening to our podcast that are unfamiliar with your ministry, um, what is it like? What is it you found mm-hmm. when you when you read the book and you got in and you know you you did training and started to get immersed into the to the world of this ministry? Um, just kind of help our folks sure. get a, a taste of who you guys are and, and really what you do sure. in this in this uh,
2: guy named Wayne Tesh was twelve years old in upstate New York went down to the uh, altar and prayed, God, what am I supposed to do when I'm 12 years old? And he saw a vision of, 12, or of kids' faces. Uh, fast forward another 12 years, he takes his first job at 24, and he says, God, what am I supposed to do? And he saw a vision of kids' faces. And uh, 12 years after that, he was given an opportunity to take foster children to a summer camp. He'd been doing church camp with church kids for years and got really good at it, was kind of known as the camp guy. So now he's got an opportunity to take foster children to camp. And what he didn't know was all the things that he didn't know. Right. He tried to take these children who were not, um, uh, typical of going to church on a Sunday, sitting in a classroom and doing a craft and, uh, take them to summer camp. So he tried to treat it as a church camp with church kids. And it just blew up in his face. It was a disaster on every, every single level except one. And the, the one level, it wasn't a disaster it was it really connected and impacted the kids. So regardless of the disaster that the adults experienced, the kids had a great time. The kids were absolutely amazed. The kids were up in the mountains, the kids were in the outdoors, the kids were swimming, the kids were having as much food as they wanted to have, right, so the, to, the, to the adults, it was a disaster. To the kids, it was heaven, right? I mean, isn't that so much the case when you step into foster care or orphan care? Uh, no. What we can see is a disaster, but what the kids see is a different thing. So from there, they, they discovered it was a hit, even though they had to work through some of the issues uh, and they started training other churches on how to do this one week, summer camp for foster children. And uh, they started training other groups. And that was 1985, the first camp. Um, and now this last year, not 2020 this year, cause this is a different year, of course, but 2019, we had 214 chapters around the country, another 45 overseas. We had uh, almost 9,000 foster children attend a one week camp. Um, 2008, we added on a mentoring club because a lot of the kids, we'd only see them once a year and we wanted to do more. So we added on a mentoring club that would see them through the school year. So essentially what we do is a five-day summer camp and a nine-month mentoring program, uh, which is all geared for kids who have been through abuse, abandonment, neglect. And, it's, and we go to the church, the local church, and say, we'll train you how to do this, but this is going to be your ministry. We'll partner with you, but you got to raise the money. you got to get the, the volunteers, but count it as as your church ministry and what you're trying to do to get outside the walls of the church in an area that we would used, to, you know, we used to say the there's people behind the iron curtain or there's people behind the bamboo curtain where foster kids have been behind the government curtain for years. And we sort of like had this barrier between church and state, right? So part of the beauty of the right. ministry that I was attracted to was it gets in the middle of that barrier. It gets in the middle of that tension. And sometimes the tension is rich and sometimes the tension is pretty easy. Um, but it gave us a chance to step into that world and say, let's do something. So that's essentially what we do, um, all for kids in foster care, all volunteers. This past year, 2019, we had 15,000 volunteers uh, show up, take a week off and uh, give and give and give and live in the great, we, we call it you know, an intervention camp because it really mm-hmm. intervenes in their lives. And we're just trying to interrupt some of those cycles. And uh, when you take a kid out of their common world and you put them in an uncommon place, then uncommon things begin to happen, and that's
0: part of the beauty of going. I love, I love hearing and and you know and I, and one of the things I want to make sure and and just kind of point out from from what you've said, we talk a lot about collaboration yeah. on on this podcast, and and we're constantly talking about you know ways that churches can work together, and ways that ministries can partner together, and all of those kind of things. But I I don't want to miss the, the, you know, you're talking about a collaboration Mm -hmm. between, you know, between the church, between the church and the parachurch and the, and the government. And, and that, you know, part of one of the, one of the things that we have an opportunity to do is in, in some of these areas is to, is to be salt and light by going into these areas and, and really being able to engage um, with the government. And, and so you know, we're so our collaboration is not limited to those things we do within the body of Christ. There is there's a there's an incredible opportunity and there's a gospel yeah. opportunity in us being able to collaborate and and to connect with you know connect with government.
2: Yeah, it's a great collaboration. I love it. I love the idea of the church and state working together for the noble cause of the kids in foster care and and, and adoptive care. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, some some people find it that tension. Uh, very awkward. They don't know what to do. We, we go right to our churches and say, hey, because it's church and state, there's certain things we can't do. Like we can't do altar calls. We don't do communion. We don't do baptisms, right? And some people really bristle at that. But we operate in our lives all the time as Christians without those things, right? There's opportunities there where we do things uh, with kids uh, without those things. And um, one of the the joys I have is trying to explain to our trainees, how we can share the gospel without some of the typical methodologies that we, we look at. And it's a great joy for us to be able to do that, that we can still share Christ. We can share, still share our faith um, alongside the kids that we serve uh, while balancing church and state issues. So,
1: you know, with, with that, with the, obviously the collaboration, the, the ministry that you're, you're able to do um, with the camps, with the parents that are or the the parents the adults that are actually able to go to the camps and help out the churches that are uh, partnering with uh, the Royal Family Kids camps, which those names are the same, you know, so you're not confused out there if you if you hear that the Royal Family Kids camps those still exist and that is the name. Um, but really, what do you find that the you know the the kids experience? I mean, you kind of talked about it already. The kids are just loving it, but then. What do you usually see from the adults perspective, you know, and I know some people who have been involved with it and I've seen it firsthand mm-hmm. as far as what, what that looks like. But but just how does that um, how have you seen the 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 camps themselves really impact the adults in particular um, with uh, with how they think about orphan and vulnerable children with how they can mm-hmm. care for orphan and vulnerable children?
2: Yeah, it's a very impactful week on the campsite because it's so intense. It's very immersive. You you leave your family, you leave your work, you leave your kids, and you're living there for a week, and you're in this experience. So it's like going away on a missions trip, right? You're you're in it and you're living it. And we we give a lot of training and we tell a lot of horror stories, not to scare people away, but to prepare them. And a lot of the adults come away from it feeling like, wow, I had no idea. You know, they 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 tentatively step into this arena thinking, whoa, I've heard about this. I've heard about foster kids. I've heard about behaviors. I've heard about challenges. Now I'm in it. But when we have this collaboration with so many other adults, we we always make sure we have, you know, a child specialist like a social worker there. And we always have a lot of school teachers there and we always have, you know, a Bible teacher there and we always have specialists there to support everybody. We have tons of extra adults because the kids need it, but the adults also need it. So the impact on adults is it opens their eyes to a world they've seldom seen you know if you're a school teacher you've seen it. if you're a nurse you've seen it but so many other people come along and they've just never been in that world and it opens their eyes and it really the spiritual part is it opens their heart we we, i think people are naturally drawn to help children who've been through abuse and abandonment they just don't know what to do and then when we give them an opportunity they start to say wow i never i never knew this was out there but now that i'm in it uh i see that it's such a wonderful thing and and we We imagine some horror stories in our minds because we've heard stories in the news. And then we find out, you know what? They're just regular kids. Mm. They're just kids that wanna have fun. They're just kids that wanna grow up. They're just kids that want to put their past behind them and have a better future. And when you get to see them and live with them for a week, uh, it's changed a lot of our adults. Meaning this, we now regularly um, track how many of our college kids change their major because they've gone to a week of camp meaning they were a business major and now they get into social work mm. or they were a finance major and now they're becoming school teachers or they didn't know what they wanted to do and now they join, they jump into this arena because they say i didn't know what i wanted to do but man i love this arena or we've got a lot of people that have you know thought about being foster parents mm-hmm. but never took that step and after doing a week uh, with foster kids, with this team, they become foster parents. So they become adoptive parents. So annually, we have about 150 volunteers that uh, step into foster care or adoptive care, you know, on that full-time basis because they've been encouraged, because they've seen it, because they have the support, because it's that, it's that thing that helps them get over the step and say, okay, we've been thinking about doing it, let's do it. And so about 150 every year, uh, become foster parents or adoptive parents. And we have, you know, a whole bunch of college kids change their major uh, to get into this arena as well. Yeah. That's really cool. That's, that's, uh, th- I didn't even think about that college major side of things.
1: That's, that's just really neat yeah. to see that it's having such an impact. Um, well, you know, I mean, we all know doing ministry that we often don't see the fruit of our, of our work, mm-hmm. right. You know, I mean, probably 99% of what we do, we do, and we don't see um anything mm-hmm. particularly in the in the work with orphaned and vulnerable children that aren't you know if they're in your home as foster kids or as adoptive kids, then obviously you see more um but you know in things like the camps you go for a week sometimes you may have some some uh you know you know you might connect with them afterwards or whatever but but a lot of times you don't so um you know but you know, when you're working with the camps in, the, in these different parts of your ministries, you know, as Rick and I know, as you know, Jeff, I mean, sometimes we do get these little glimpses. Sometimes we do get mm-hmm. little nuggets, you know, that God just gives us that little glimpse behind the curtain to see. What the work that we've been doing and, and usually I mean at least in my experiences it comes right when we need it right like when we're just kind yeah. of bummed out about something when we're discouraged about something but we get glimpses into you know this impact that that you know we are making and uh, can you just share a couple of those stories just so people can get an sure. idea of you know if we do little things you know, never underestimate the impact you might be having on lives. Right. And that's, I've yeah. said that to so many people. And I just love for you to give a couple stories or, you know, one or two stories that, uh, that, that, ex- that kind of exemplify that.
2: Yeah. I got a couple of uh, short ones and then a very, uh, very impactful one. There's a, a quote by a guy named Thomas Carlyle. This is the quote. When the Oak is felled, the whole forest echoes with its fall, but a hundred acorns are sown in silence by an unnoticed breeze. Mm. I love that quote. Cause it, in what we do, we can notice the crashing tree. It's like the destruction uh, that happens around kids' lives. Those are easy to see, but we don't see that, that when the life is sown, uh, this acorn falls from the tree and begins new life. And, and and he uses this word are sown in silence by an unnoticed breeze. And I started using that word unnoticed moments that we have unnoticed moments that happen that we would call it a throwaway line or a throwaway moment. So here's two quick, short ones. We had a, uh, Volunteer in Springfield, Missouri, walking through the mall. And uh, a camper came up to her in the mall and said, Miss So and so, Miss So and so, do you remember me from camp? And the gal says, Oh, yes, yes, how are you? And the little girl immediately says, Do you remember when we finished that puzzle together? And the woman was thinking, I don't even remember doing a puzzle with this little girl, you know, it was a busy week a lot going on, you know, but she said, wow, I'm sure we had a good time and everything. And the, immediately the little girl says, it's the first puzzle I've ever finished in my life, mm-hmm. you know, and we would do a puzzle and not really mm-hmm. think much of it. Right. But to this little girl, this moment in time, it stood out to her. She said it was the first puzzle I ever finished in my life. Now, is that a spiritual moment? No, it's not. But is that a moment, a memory marker for her that tells us, Maybe we should pay attention to every little thing. That's one of those unnoticed moments. Mm. Another quick story was um, the bus just arrived at camp one day, a little girl got out, her counselor took her to the, uh, to the cabin. And this particular cabin had the little bunk beds and a couple of little drawers. And uh, the little girl immediately started unpacking her little bag and was gent- gently taking out each item of clothing and putting it in the drawer one at a time mm. with a lot of care. And it was supposed to be lunchtime. So the counselor says, come on, come on, come on. We got to go. We got to get in line. There's things to do. And the little girl just didn't move. Just each item, taking it out, putting it in this drawer. And the counselor came over and said, hey, sweetie, we can do that anytime. We've got to go get into lunch. And the little girl looked up and she said, this is my first dresser. The lady said, "It's what? She said, this is my first dresser. Mm. And she was just so enthralled in the moment of having a dresser right? Something that you and I have, we have lots of dressers. We've opened up drawers 10,000 times, but to this little girl, she had heard about dressers and now she finally had one. She'd gone away to this camp. And she got to have a dresser, something we would never think about as having importance or having value or having any meaning whatsoever. It was incredibly meaning to this little girl. Now, again, what does that mean? Uh, spiritual moment? No, but here's the thing. When you meet kids needs in simple things and practical things like puzzles and, and, and dressers, all of a sudden they start listening more intently to the, all the other stuff you say because we're meeting their basic practical needs. We, we exposed them and we gave them a moment that registered with them. We didn't even know about it. We didn't know that this girl needed to complete a puzzle or needed, uh, needed a dresser. But when you do these things, they start to listen to all the other stuff you say. So a really impactful story is one of our trainers, national trainers uh, named Dan. He told us this story just recently. It wasn't with a camper, but it's it goes along with the the idea that we don't always know what impact we're having on people. And he had been a middle school basketball coach and coached a lot of, awkward middle school boys right in in basketball who were learning how to dribble, learning how to run, learning how to do just the basics. And, and as a great guy, he'd been one of our camp directors and he'd learned a lot about kids over the years as a teacher, but also as a camp director. He spent time with this awkward kid and just made sure that he got time on the court and did all the things he was supposed to do. He was just doing what he always does. Well, years go by and he gets an email and his name was Tim. And uh, so our our camp director Dan gets this email from Tim. Hey Dan, Coach Dan, do you remember me? My name is Tim So and So, uh, and you were my middle school basketball coach. Well, Dan responds, Hey Tim, great to hear from you. I um, hope all is well. Glad you reached out. Well, Dan didn't really remember him because he's you know he coached hundreds of kids through through middle school. So Tim emails back. No, no, no. I I was just really curious if you remember me. I, you were my basketball coach, and, and you this grade and this year, and, and you spent a lot of time with me. And I know I was awkward, and I know I didn't know what I was doing, but but you really cared, and I appreciated that. And Dan responds again. Thanks, Tim. Appreciate it. Wow, I'm glad you reached out. Uh, pray that all is going well in your life, you know. And then uh, a couple of days go by, and Dan gets another email. No, Coach Dan, I I don't think you understand. Uh, I'm in New York. I was standing on a chair, I had a rope around my neck, I was about to commit suicide. And I thought to myself, nobody will miss me. And then I thought, Coach Dan would miss me because Coach Dan cared. And he took the rope off and he started to relive his life and he reached out to Coach Dan. Now this is again years and years later. Coach Dan cared at some critical moments in this kid's life and uh, Coach Dan didn't know that he was making that kind of impact. He had no idea he was making that kind of it, that that kid really needed it. And at a moment of critical, a critical moment in that kid's life, and he's standing on a chair with a rope around his neck, the guy he remembers is the guy who just spent time with him playing basketball. Again, was that a spiritual moment? On one hand, no. On another hand, oh, yeah. And when he had that rope around his neck, that was a spiritual moment. You know, so we can reach out and we can touch kids, uh, kids who are, Uh, from these difficult, challenging, hard places, and these unnoticed moments can be so impactful, uh, no matter what we're doing, whether it's at a camp or mentoring, or whether you just play games with kids, or whether you foster them or adopt them, or hang out with them in Sunday school. Uh, When we reach out, these these unnoticed moments can be so valuable. We have to remind ourselves, and, and our human nature is I feel like I didn't make an impact because I didn't see any immediate results. And this is a a battle I fight with our volunteers all the time because they're human, right? We wanna see the input, we wanna plant the seed and see the crop Mm. immediately. Uh, The law of the farmer says it doesn't work that way. The law of the farmer says you plant and you wait. And we're so human, it's hard to wait. But we know when we deal with children, and especially when we deal with children from vulnerable Mm. places, that, uh, that harvest takes a lot longer to see. But it is truly there. No, definitely. And
1: I think that, you know, we talk with people about that all the time. It's actually why, folks, we ask you to let us know how this podcast is impacting you, by the way. That's, you know, part yeah. of the reason is to be, you know, just to know how the different guests are impacted. So you can tell them as well. You know, just drop them a note and say, hey, thank you for that story. That really helped me to understand. Because there are, I mean, there are thousands, probably millions of Tims out there right? Who yeah, are, exactly. Who we just don't know about. And, you know, it's, as you said, usually, you know, not just sometimes, usually we don't see the crop. We don't see the harvest. We just, you know, we're just sowing seeds and, and, and doing what God has before us. So, um, yeah, thank you for those stories. Fantastic.
0: So, Jeff, you, uh, you know, you focused in on on kind of talking about your, your ministry and, and for the children and how you guys care for children, right? But, that's not all that, that. That's not all that exists in this equation with uh, with foster care. You know, there are there are birth families, there are mm-hmm. foster families, there are there are lots of other people that are that are coming around these kids um, in in various ways, and 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 you guys in particular are really um, also focused on on foster parents and, and focused mm-hmm. on the families that have you know have these kids in care and and so just would love for you to just kind of unpack a little bit about how for the children, like how you guys support foster families. Um, Maybe even kind of talk a little bit about for, for those of our our folks that are listening that are, that are unfamiliar with the foster Mm -hmm. care system, just a little bit of the realities of families who have kids in care and, and, and what are, you know, what are some of kind of the, the common profiles kind of common, you know, common things that we see that are, That are hurdles that you guys are trying to help conquer in in helping families to stay engaged in 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 the foster system
2: well one of the first things we noticed right away was when you're able to take foster kids from a foster family it gives them a week of respite right a desperate time of rest and that's just so needed and so critical most counties have systems and programs set up for that it's just hard to implement them all it's hard to always get people to come in and say i'll take you know a child for respite Mm -hmm. So a lot, of our, a lot of times we get great feedback from, thank you, uh, I just needed to break myself, right? We got a great letter back from a foster mom uh, last year, said, uh, I heard about your camp. Uh, I heard that my son might be you know able to go. I didn't think he would be able to stay. Um, I dropped him off. Uh, he stayed all week. I was surprised he stayed all week. I got this wonderful note from the camp counselor who praised my son up and down. And I thought you're talking about the wrong boy, right? Because uh, she said, you, you must have a different child than the one you're praising here, right? But again, when you take kids away for a week, they act differently. They don't always act the way they do at home. We, we do that on vacation as well. Uh, so here's a mom who said, well, wow, I, I didn't think my, my son would be able to, to be away. And he did, and it gave me the, the week of rest. And she said, when I read that letter of all these wonderful glowing things about my son, stuff that I don't always see, it really helped me refocus that uh, those things are in him, and, and I need to continue to draw them out. She said, I was kind of at my rope's end, but this, this week off gave me the rest, and this list of great attributes that he really does have helped me refocus on him. So there's lots of little things like that uh, where siblings get to come together. We have a lot of sibling uh, connections where sometimes siblings get split up in foster care and adoptive care. And sometimes they've come back together at camp and they haven't seen each other for a year or sometimes years. And so sometimes the families love the idea that, hey, can you specifically make sure that the siblings get together at the same week at the same time? because they recognize the value of that sibling time together because you know two different foster parents may have two different boys or two different girls etc and they they want again foster parents are so wonderful they they recognize that this is a great need uh so those are some of the things that we Mm -hmm. see um part of when we're trying to encourage our own volunteers to step into that foster care Mm -hmm. arena is that uh, again we don't train foster parents but a lot of our volunteers become foster parents so Part of what we're trying to do is come around them and support them either with respite care or with just a team that says i know what you're going through and sometimes we have foster parents reach out to us because they they know that we get it and they don't have to explain themselves Uh, when you're talking to strangers about your child and some of the issues that are challenging you right now you have to explain everything and people don't always get it so when they talk to somebody who's sort of on the inside uh, somebody who's been around a lot of foster kids have been around the system a little bit uh, you don't have to explain everything And it just it's an easier conversation to kind of open up about what's going on. We have you know foster families contact us about other needs. Uh, We're trying to uh, under the for the children umbrella grow into meeting needs. And we know with COVID nineteen, there's going to be a lot of needs coming up as as we start to open up and get back to school and do different things. So one of the offerings that is happening under for the children is the opportunity to sign up uh, where you just meet needs like, hey, they need a dresser, they need a mattress, they need sleeping bags, they need sheets, whatever. So we're signing up new churches now under those those opportunities where foster parents can put out a need and uh, it's through another church program. But it really helps uh, people again step into that zone where we're supporting those foster families. They're doing such critical work. And they often feel alone and left out. And uh, so anything we can do to come alongside and partner with them is an opportunity where we would like to grow and help.
0: Yeah. And, I, you know, I love the idea that, that you're, you're giving this really accessible thing that people can do a week yeah. of their life. Yeah. You know, they can take a week of vacation. They can do this. You're going to train them. You're going to, you know, you're going to stand them up so that they're ready to do this. But, but what it does is it gives them a way of, of really tangibly putting their toe in the water. And and for for some of them, you know, their answer is we're, you know, we're going to commit to foster and, and we're going to do that. But, but all of the other ways that people are finding to, you know, to be mobilized, meeting tangible needs, providing wraparound services, all of those kinds of things. And, and I I just, I love the the ministry model that you guys have that, that really, because it's centered on the local church, um, like this really helps to catalyze. a a really kind of full and complete approach to foster care ministry in a church. And, and it, it, it just, you know, I think you, as you're illustrating all of those different things, like I I don't want our our listeners to, to miss that, that, you know, sometimes we unintentionally send the message um, to, to, to folks in our church that, you know, really the only thing you can do is you can adopt, you can foster, you know, we have, we have these kind of life altering, you know, kinds of things that, that we, that we say that there are a lot of folks that are just not in, they're not in the place to do that. And, and I think, yeah. you know, you guys are creating accessibility to, to give a wide variety of people the ability to take their gifts and talents and abilities and, and bring them to bear. And, and so, you know, thank you, because, yeah. because the, the service that you're providing to the body of Christ and the, and the ripple effect of that is, you know, is vast. And, those fifteen thousand people are are affecting a lot of kids, and they're affecting a lot of communities. But they're also affecting a lot of other people like them, and and bringing other people to the table in a lot of different ways. And and that's you know that's a message that we want to you know we want to continue to you know to reinforce is that you know part of part of this in orphan care is this is not optional. For, you know for those of us who yeah. are who are Christ followers, there everybody everybody has a role to play and and something to do um, you know an orphan care being a a, a, a gospel enterprise and yeah. um, and I just man I just, I'm just very very thankful for um, you yeah. know for you guys in your in your ministry and the way that you're uh, the way that you're leaning in to give people really practical ways to to yeah. approach that.
2: Well it's you know a foster parent is jumping in the deep end right? And sometimes if you tell people, "Gee, I, I want to help these these vulnerable children well you got to jump in the deep end or nothing right there right. so what we're able to do is come along and say well you don't have to jump in the deep end how about how about the middle of the pool or how about the shallow end right how about just get in for a little while just five days can you handle five days and people realize hey i can handle five days that wasn't so right. hard i mean it was it was challenging it was intense right. <laughs> but you know when you do intense things it's very rewarding too if you went and it sure. was easy you'd say well that was you know was it was it worth it if it was easy so uh, they get to, They get to do it for five days, and then if they join our mentoring program, they get to do it over nine mm-hmm. months right mm-hmm. so if they can 't take five days off, they can join the mentoring program and do it a Saturday for over a nine month mm-hmm. period and with our, these other programs that are beginning with uh, you know providing goods and services wrap around mm-hmm. gives other people chances to to get into that zone and uh, we 've been working with a guy named Bishop Blake down in Texas. Yeah. and uh, you know, he says Bishop uh, you know,
0: well.
2: yeah, you know he says <laughs> uh, foster care is one of the few." Uh, things that are actually mandate uh, given a, like a mandatory statement in the Bible, like James one 27 widows and orphans. It says right there to do these things. It doesn't always say to do parking ministry. It doesn't always say to do all these other things, but it says to do those things. And a lot of churches struggle. Like how do we get in that zone? Well, this is just one way. There's lots of ways you can get in that zone. We're not the only good ministry out there doing good things. There's a lot of them. But to get into that zone is a valuable opportunity to serve. And, I, and again, it comes back to the, can the church and state work together? If we can't work together, we got a problem, yep. right? We've got to find a way for the church and state to work together. And the state needs it. They are desperate for more foster parents. They are desperate for a wraparound care. They are desperate for stuff because it's a growing deal, right? And with COVID, it's even worse. So they need the church. They need faith-based people to get involved and, and be a part of that. And and why not? You know, yeah. they need it. It's a, it's, a, it's a mandate in the Bible. Let's jump in that zone. No, definitely. And, you know, and... As you
1: talk about the pool analogy, I'll just keep that going a little bit here. And, you know, you don't just throw someone, whether even in the middle of the pool, you don't just mm-hmm. throw them in without training, right? You, you give swim that's lessons, right. Oh, yeah. right? Make sure that yeah. they're not going to do damage and destruction as, they're, as right. they're doing these camps, as they're connecting with these kids, you know, who are from hard places. A lot of them have, you know, yeah. issues that if you don't know about, you might do stuff unintentionally. Um, and so that's what you do is you train. You're the director of the training, right? And so that's a big, yep. big part of your job anyway. And so I love how you guys do the training. I, I, you know, traditionally now during COVID it's had to take a, you know, I want to talk to you about a little bit about that Mm. too, but, um, how do you guys do your training? And as you talked about it with me, you do your training really to allow the people to learn from spontaneous moments, which I think a lot of times during training, we just have it. Okay. Learn this information and then you go home and hopefully it will. Uh, be in your mind and in your brain, and you'll know how to do it when you experience these issues. But, you know, as you talked about with me, you know, uh, you have really a different approach than most people do when it comes to the training, at least that I've seen. Can you just talk about that? And then really how COVID and, you know, has caused you guys to pivot and what your training looks like nowadays as well?
2: Sure. So traditionally, if you wanted to become a camp director, most of our ministry opportunities start with becoming a camp camp director starting a camp chapter. Uh, So you show up at a six-day camp that is actually happening. The camp goes for five days, but the trainees show up for six days. And it's it's an immersion experience. You live at the camp with the kids, not in the same housing as the kids, but we'll take you to a classroom about six hours a day. But about every two hours, we leave the classroom and go see and experience the camp in action. So if we'll train on how to run a great chapel service, then we go out and see an actual chapel service. If we train on Mm -hmm. how to do registration with the kids, then we walk out and see registration. If we train on how to handle nursing and medical needs, then we walk out and see the nurse and all the medical needs, right? So it's a great uh, lecture with observation time. And what I noticed over the years of doing these six day trainings was so much of the training happens outside the classroom, not just observation, but I I started to use this little phrase, OAT, off agenda training. So I'll give them an agenda that says, here's where we talk about fundraising. Here's where we talk about behavioral needs. Here's right, that's on the agenda. But when we're out walking and talking in, on the campground, when we're having a breakfast, lunch, dinner in the cafeteria, when we're sitting by the pond watching kids fish, other questions start to come up. Well, Jeff, you said this in training. Now, what did that really mean? You know, and all of a sudden we're back to training. We're back to discussion. We're back to uh, how to apply it in a setting that's no longer in the classroom. And great, great training uh, takes place, uh, what I call off-agenda training. It's just in these moments when you walk and talk along the way. And when you're living it, when you're living at this campground, you can have that opportunity. It reminds me of uh, a message I heard from a pastor years ago that a lot of Jesus' miracles took place when he was being interrupted. He was on his way to Samaria and this event happened. He was on his way and blind Bartimaeus cried out. He was on his way somewhere else and, uh, you know, the guy in the tree, you know, climbed up the tree and was, you know, saying, you know, Jesus, what are you doing? And he said, let's go have dinner. And uh, he was being interrupted. What he was outside going to and fro was doing something else. And uh, at camp, we're not necessarily being interrupted, but we're out doing, we're going to and from. And there's great uh, observation moments and great spontaneous moments that pop up that you can't plan for on a training agenda. And so it's a great moment. Now, the challenge with that is how do you convert that over to a virtual training so this summer we had to convert all of our training from face-to-face training to this virtual training because of COVID, which was no easy task and uh i had to study a lot about it like a lot of you guys do how do we how do we convert this material so my attempt was the observation piece was so valuable we went back and found some video footage as much as we could get our hands on and it was just average everyday video footage of a campground in operation and we would talk to the trainees okay Imagine you're at camp, you're not in your living room, you're at camp, what do you see on the screen? Let's observe together, let's look together. What you think you see is just a couple of kids bouncing around, but what I want you to see is, where's the counselor? Where's the child specialist? If something goes wrong, if they're by the water, is there a lifeguard? You know, I need to start having you focus on, instead of saying, oh, that's nice, a couple of kids are walking around. No, I need you to focus on, if you're the camp director, What else is going on? What else do you need to be prepared for? What's coming up next? Are those people in place? If you've got adults around there, how did they get there? Who recruited them? Who trained them? You know, starting to refocus how you see the world. Was it easy? It was certainly not easy. Did it go over as well as I wanted? No, but it was our first shot at it. And sometimes, you know, your first shot is your first shot and you learn from it and you grow. But I think we started to plant those seeds of observation in a lot of our trainees that uh, they can't just see a, a typical scene. They have to start thinking differently about what they see and what it means and how all of these things took place that um, you can do more than what you see you know, initially. So that was our shot at virtual training this year with COVID and uh, the test will be whether they can start their camps up next summer and be successful. And we trust that they will, it'll be a steeper climb, Mm -hmm. right? Everybody's had a steeper climb this year with virtual training, but that doesn't mean you can't do it. It doesn't mean you can't be successful.
1: Absolutely. And I think it's also something that, you know, moving forward, it will actually be good for us to have both options. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, because it will open doors that may not have been there, you know, in the absence of virtual training. So yeah. Yeah.
2: I think part of virtual training. Yeah. Good.
0: No, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I want to hear what you. I was gonna say. I think part of
2: yeah, I think part of virtual training, as challenging as it is, it um, makes us refocus on what what is the meat and potatoes. You know, forget the some of the stuff that we've put into training over the years. That's just the niceties. Which the niceties are always good. It helps enhance things, but when you come down to it, you just got to come down to the solid basics when you get to virtual training. And here's the core stuff that you really have to know. And so I had to go through and cut out a lot of material, rearrange a lot of slides, narrow stuff down, not take out content, but just focus content. And I think that's, uh, that's you know, now when I go back and do my live training, I think I'll have more, more time to focus on the most important things.
0: For sure. One of the things we always do with our guests and and we want to close out our time uh, by by asking you a couple of questions. And and the first one is what what is it that you've read, uh, listened to or watched recently that's impacted the way that you think about how we can love orphaned vulnerable children with excellence?
2: Yeah, well, I've got a I've got a very specific book I'm going to share here, but um, a couple others that are more general. So I've got this book. This is a tough read. It's called Predators, Pedophiles, Rapists and Other Sex Offenders. So uh, in my business, I've got to read stuff like this. If you're a foster parent, you probably don't need to read this, but I've got 9,000 kids showing up at camp every year with 15,000 adults. And I've got to read stuff like this. And as hard a read as this was, and this was pretty brutal to read, uh, I've got to make sure, what, Phil, you said this, that we train people, that we put people in place that are prepared and that we keep the bad guys out. Right That's essentially what this comes down to. so that's that's a book that I read recently. That was uh, startling and striking. Uh, we've been in this business for a long time, trying to keep kids safe, right? You, you want to minister to kids, but you've got to also keep them safe. And, um, when you, like I said earlier, if you meet kids needs, they'll start to listen to other things, but when kids are scared, they don't listen to you when kids are frightened, they don't want to listen to you. No matter what you got to say. So that kind of a book right there is the type that, uh, institutions, bigger organizations need to be a part of just because we got to keep kids safe. Right. Um, some of the other general stuff that I've been in, involved with is uh, the Global Leadership Summit at a Willow Creek, uh, trying to keep my leadership skills up, trying to get our other volunteers to sign up for that. It's a great two-day simulcast that all of our volunteers can, can sign up for and just be a part of. Uh, as, a, as a guy who studied leadership a lot, Um, I've been rereading this book uh, Mm. called On Becoming a Leader, a classic in the the leadership. And again, this book, as I've been going back through it, um, On Becoming a Leader by Warren Bennis, uh, I look at it and again, it's solid, solid basics that we can skip over sometimes, And that if we're not doing it, it's like foundational stuff for a house. If you don't have a good foundation, uh, fancy doors and windows don't matter if the foundation is cracking, right? So foundational stuff, as we reach out to our camp directors and our mentor directors, uh, are we providing them with good leadership? Are we providing them with opportunities to lead well? And of course, going back to um, the example of Jesus, in so many times where he had compassion, he had patience, he was interrupted and that was okay. Trying to to instill that into the foster care community that we're a part of, that so many kids um, seems to be at times a bother, or they ask incessant questions, or they have behavioral challenges, and yet we got to be patient and empathetic and compassionate, and say, you know what, uh, I can do this. I can be patient. I can work with these kids. Um, I can make a difference, even though I don't see that harvest. You know that again, we talked about that. It's so so valuable that we 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 hold on. To that hope that we know is there, that we know is important, that we know is valuable, uh, even though we don't see it, uh, we hold on. These kind of books keep me motivated and keep me at a level where I try to uh, employ that to our our leadership teams and our, our volunteers. Uh, we just did go through this transition, and if your groups are going through any kind of transition, we do went through a you know sort of a name change. We still have. Royal Family Kids Camps, but our corporate name is now for the children. So as we went through that change, we, we found this great book, it's called uh, Managing Transitions. So if your organization's gonna go through some transitions, name changes, brand changes, logo changes, man, this is a great book on uh, working through that whole transitionary process. Uh, we get married and connected to logos and brands and names, and sometimes rightfully so, and so when we, there's change, it, it's hard and we want to manage it well. And so we, we just want to be as effective as we can, as our new you know, title says for the children to be able to speak nationally to what we do and internationally with some of our chapters overseas. Uh, things are very different overseas. Uh, we, we talk about that the language is different and culture is different, but boy, the kids are the same. They just want to grow up and be kids, you know, just want to be kids for the while they're still children and have kid issues and kid fun and uh, kid joy and kid happiness. And uh, so all these things are so different overseas internationally, but boy, the kids are the same. And it's a, it's a joy to be able to see uh, see them and see their lives connected as well. Uh, Definitely. Well,
1: those uh, again, uh, I am always excited when, and I'm excited and and a bit uh, you know, also, you know, concerned when i haven't read any of the books that you recommend um because you know now they're on my list you know which is ever growing but i'm i'm, I'm excited ever. to get those um and check them out so uh you know the last question folks you, you know they're listening you know what's coming um what person has most impacted your thinking on how we can love orphan and vulnerable children with excellence
2: so that person to me is our founder, Wayne Tesh. He's uh, re- semi-retired now from the organization. He's no longer the president. But um, he's the guy that came to our church and spoke mm-hmm. those many years ago. He's the guy that had that vision when he was 12 years old and when he was 24. He's the guy that started that first camp. Uh, he's the guy that uh, called me um, in 2006 and said, Jeff, would you move your family and come work you know, 400 miles away and uh, take this journey with me? And uh, working alongside him, he's an encourager, he's a motivator, he's a mentor. Uh, he has shown me through his daily living that he cares for these kids so much that he'd get on a plane and he'd be gone 150, 200 days a year on the road, uh, talking to churches, talking to camp directors, raising money, uh, raising awareness, doing the things that had to be done. And, and I tell our directors this phrase all the time. And it applies to Wayne. I say to the directors, you know, the kids we serve have no idea how hard we work to do what we do you know we a common line we get from kids at camp is so how much do they pay you well i'm a volunteer i don't get paid at all what do you mean you don't get paid at all you know i thought you lived here i thought you worked here i thought you got paid a lot of money to be here it's like nope none of that is true <laughs> right they, they have no idea they're 10 they're 12 they, they don't know mm-hmm. and uh for wayne uh, kids uh, that have been to our camps, they have no idea there, there's a guy named Wayne Tesh. They have no idea he was on an airplane all those times. They have no idea he was away from his wife and away from his family. Uh, that That is a, an example to me that uh, he has planted seeds across the nation and across mm-hmm. the world that there are kids, I think, that will show up in heaven and walk up to him and say, Wayne, you don't know me, but I'm partly here because of your efforts. Mm-hmm. And I think that's going to happen to so many of us. I've, I've been studying this for a long time, this this uh, impact that we have unnoticed impact. And I think we're going to walk the streets of heaven and people are going to come up to us and say, you don't know me. But part of the reason I'm here is because of what you did. Either you gave a camp scholarship or you gave it an offering or you were a backer of this, or you helped support that. And that's part of the reason why I'm here today. And I think that's going to be true for, for so many people that they're going to be amazed at how much impact they've really had on people on this earth. And they just don't know it yet. They don't see it yet. Uh, Wayne has had that impact on so many lives, and I believe each one of us has actually had a very large impact. We just don't know it yet, and we won't really know the full impact until we walk the streets of old. Well, thanks so much, Jeff.
1: You know, I'm encouraged, so encouraged by – I was encouraged when we we hung out for coffee. I'm very encouraged Mm -hmm. today. Uh, In this conversation, I just want to thank you for taking the time to be a part of this, and I, I have no doubt that our listeners will be better for it. Yeah.
2: Well, let me uh, say to you guys, thanks for what you do, right? Again, kids don't know that you're in a studio right now doing this, right? But you're helping kids. There are volunteers out there who are going to listen to it, and they're going to be appreciative that you guys took the time and the effort at churches, nonprofits, et cetera. So let me thank you guys. On behalf of the kids that will be touched by your work and effort, let me say thanks on their behalf.
1: Thanks again, Jeff, for uh... Just being a part of this show for sharing what God is doing in your life in the ministry, you know, as, as he talked about the transitions, the but you know some of the things that are staying the same is just their heart for the orphan and the vulnerable, and um, you know, and, and just being able to give, as he said, a lot of respite, a lot of wraparound care, um, different things that they're really wanting to do as a ministry. Uh, which is, which is why really they they've have changed the name to be more holistic than just a camp. And so what, what'd you think just, you know, in general and, and, you know, any other thoughts just about, uh, general, I know that lifeline does a lot more work really with, um, birth families, the reunification side, things like that. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I would definitely want to make sure that we touch on that a little bit too, just, just so yeah. people know that sure. if this is their first, you know, foray into this conversation.
0: Sure. And, and I, I think, you know, I mean, I, I love I love what they do in the camps and and ministering, mm-hmm. you know, focusing ministry on on kids. I love the fact that it's, you know, trauma sensitive ministry and that they're, you know, like they're they're holding a camp that's that, that takes into account the hard places that these kids are coming from and, you know, and, and plans for that. And and I love the fact that they, you know, that providing respite care and and like wrapping around foster families is a, is a big portion of, you know, of of their work. I think, you know, the couple of things that I, that I just want to make sure to say, and and I feel that I'd be kind of delinquent if I didn't is one, I think a big emphasis in the local church has to be on, on wrapping around those foster families. Uh, Jeff didn't really say this, but it was kind of implied in, in his, uh, you know, his answer that, um, that, you know, the, the statistics are right around 50% of foster families, um, don't, don't continue to foster beyond 24 months. Mm. Um, and so, you know, fully half of the people that step in to, um, to get into foster care have one or two placements and then, and then they're done. And, and generally the reason is because they're burnt out and, and that's where the church is kind of the, the perfect model you know, for doing this. I mean, God has this thing rigged, right? Like we, we have this community that can come around foster families and can wrap around them and, and provide extra support for them. And so there are, there are layers of support that can, that ultimately can help these families to, to stay engaged longer, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and the truth is the longer people do this, the better they get, the better their skill becomes. Um, and, you know, and in, in just kind of knowing how to experientially, how to, you know, how to walk through some of these hard things with, with kids. And so, you know, very definitely love that and, and, and think it's the beginning of a journey that, but churches are still going to have to seize upon doing, you know, doing something else. And they're, you know, they're very child focused in what they do, you're going to bring people out of the woodwork and you're going to have to be ready to mobilize them into you know, doing other things, providing, you know, meal support, prayer support, transportation support, doing respite care events in your church for families. All those kind of things are, you know, kind of work together and conspire together, raising up respite families that can do this stuff. So it's not just once a year that a family's getting a week off, but that they're getting a weekend off or getting a week off, you know, fairly regularly. But we're not doing more damage to the kids. When we do that, because because these are people that they know and that they're invested in a relationship with and they don't feel like they're being transitioned out of stability into instability because it just undermines everything we're doing. I think the, the last thing, you know, Phil, and, and, you know, this is a huge passion point for me um, is I just want to make sure and, and say that. You know really i think when when we look at the goal of, of the u.s foster care system the primary goal of the foster care system is to seek reunification and reconciliation in families and so it's about kids going home to their birth family and and for that family being you know being restored and and being healthy and and i just you know i believe it at my core that that's a that's a goal that's not only not inconsistent with the gospel, it's a goal that's squarely consistent with the gospel. And and that if we if we really believe that that, that you know that, that coming to Christ and being made over, you know, through relationship with Christ and by the Holy Spirit, if we really believe that there is, you know, that there's this transformation that takes place because of what, you know, because of 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 what Christ does in us and and, and 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 as Christ resides in us then um then we've got to believe that's the hope for broken families too right and and so when Paul and I you know I know I've said this on you know on the show before but if you if you haven't heard you know this diatribe. Let me get up on my soapbox for a second and say, go read Second Corinthians chapter five. Paul says we we are ambassadors of Christ, and you know in verse twenty, and he says we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. And so, as ambassadors, as representatives of the King, in this context. We have been given the gospel in order to fix things, in order to repair things. and ultimately what what what's ultimately to be repaired is our brokenness because of our sin and for us to be reconciled in relationship with God. Hmm. But really practically, that also talks about there's a right here right now component to that. and 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 so when the church begins to bring the gospel to bear in the lives of birth families, we're seeing families that have the potential then, to take advantage of all these resources and all these assets that the government and the church and everybody else is pushing toward them. And and we're applying it to transform life. And, and, and these families have the opportunity to be put back together ultimately for the glory of God, like as a testimony to the, you know, to the worth of the gospel. And so I just, you know, I, I think many times we, we, we can, we can jump into these conversations. And when we focus on, when we focus on the kids and we focus on ourselves and, and what we're doing to keep kids safe in in temporary care, um, we can leave out and, and sometimes even vilify birth parents. And that's not to say that that many of these situations, you know, the the neglect, the abuse, the indifference, the things that go on are not, they're not bad. They're reprehensible, right? Like they're mm-hmm. they're awful. And we don't want to minimize that at all but but there's a but there's a counterbalancing reality for us in 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 the church that Christ died for that. Mm-hmm. Christ died to to pay the penalty for that and to and to bring restoration you know from that and there's potential in the lives of those families that no matter where they are no matter how bad they you know they've been we there's a there's a chance, right? Um and the gospel is that chance. So I'm I'm off my soapbox, but I but I think you know, and I don't think Jeff was not saying that. Right. right. So no, absolutely. let me, you know, for, for, for anybody that, for anybody that's going to say, Hey, you, you know, you kind of unfairly went in on, right. I don't think he's saying that at all. I, I just, I think that we just have to be really conscientious at, in, at, at some level in this conversation that we're making sure that we're having all of it because new people are coming to this conversation all the time yeah, absolutely. and they're, and they're seeing pieces and parts of it that we're having. And, and quite honestly, the, the, the reconciliation and restoration conversation, the birth family conversation is not nearly of a level and a visibility in Christian circles. We're not having that conversation enough. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and yeah, we're super passionate about it. And you know, I mean, I'll put a plug in for, you know, for our own ministry, our family's count ministry um, mobilizes churches and teaches churches how to do that. Mm -hmm. And, and so if you're out there and you're listening and you're saying, Hey, we're trying to figure out how to, you know we're trying to like that sounds good we'd like to, we'd like to know how to to jump in and, and do that work um you know we we love nothing more than to uh, you know than to jump in with you and 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 talk about how you know your church can be mobilized to do that kind of work so um but yeah i mean i you know offline jeff and i were actually talking about uh, some churches that we you know that we know in common and, and partner churches and man they i mean those churches do exemplary jobs yeah. of these camps, and you know the stuff they do is just—it's just incredible and is so so good. And so yeah. I, I can't recommend their ministry highly enough. Yeah, no. and uh, and and think you know if, if this is something that that you know that you feel like your church has the resources and the, you know and, and the ability and the calling to do, um, definitely reach out to them. Because they're you know they're they're a great ministry organization they're doing this for the right reasons and they're and they're very skilled at what they do absolutely
1: and you can find the the website for for the children at the show notes um, for this episode you can definitely go check that out and and you know like you were saying in there Jeff is I, I just want to you know reiterate that like we're not saying here Jeff was saying, that he they don't care about all those things. They they absolutely they just do a different part of the ministry. They are Perfect. they are, you know, and that's okay. Actually, that's what we talk about on this show: the it's collaboration. Beautiful. It's absolutely they are sitting in their sweet spot and they're doing it incredibly well, and so. Um, but like we said, we just want to make sure that if this is your first foray into this and you're just, you know, dipping your toe in as he talked about that you, that we talk about that side of it as well. Cause it isn't talked yeah. about much. It really isn't talked about much. And it's like you said, it's often vilified. And so, um, I do want to say, you know, we're going to, we're going to wrap this one up cause it is a little longer than, uh, than we expected to go on in this, in this episode. But, you know, that's because we had good stuff on this episode. So, um, But uh, I do want to, I'd be remiss for not talking about the blockbuster hit movie that really talks, it, it kind of shows in, in movie form, the Royal Family Kids. Um, you know, just as Orphanology was the New York Times bestseller, um, <laughs> the movie Camp by our think orphan guest, I believe he's episode six, maybe seven um it's camp, and you know Johnston Moore made this movie, and he's a you know he's a champion for um all this work as well. he's a great friend, and he's um, our buddy and, and so a- and so we can we can do nothing but grin when we say his name
0: right what absolutely if
1: you know John, you are laughing along with us, check it out it's it's not a blockbuster hit um it's you know. I, I'm not gonna use the adjectives that I have used in the past with John as well, right? You know, to his face, um, and he's probably used them as well. But it it does give a good picture, really, about what these camps look like, you know. And and you know what? It's for all the, <clears throat> you know, I, I I could never write a screenplay. So I I commend John for the great work that he's doing. If you knew some of the screenplays screenplays that guy could have written, you would be blown away. So. All that to say, John, we love you. And um, I am just looking forward to getting this out to you. And uh, by now, you've listened to the whole thing. So um, we are excited to uh, finish up another episode with another great guest. Uh, as we've talked about over the last few episodes, you know, if you want to give to this, uh, this podcast to keep us going, to be able to keep putting out this content with these people that uh, are fantastic people from all over the world, Uh, you can go ahead and go to ProvidenceWorld.com. There's a a spot for the Think Orphan podcast. You can go ahead and give gifts there. So thank you for that in advance. Uh, We just want to, again, thank you for your download. Thank you for your engagement. And we do hope and pray that you take everything that you are learning from this podcast and you use it to help you to know how you can love orphan and vulnerable children better and better each and every day. Thanks a lot. Have a great week.